couple of weeks with you, and I'm, I'm tickled for that. Most folks can only handle me one Sunday, and they don't invite me back. And I don't know if you had much choice about that, but uh, we'll go with it. Th- these are interesting times. And uh, one of the things that I do want to make you aware of is uh, COVID, uh, politics, social unrest, even the devil himself has not diminished God's power one bit. He is still on his throne. He is still ruler over all, and his son Jesus still saves. But as I move into this stage of my life, one of the things that I want to do is I want to finish well. And for me to finish well, I know that I need to make sure I am not the weakest link. Now, uh, when we think about the weakest link, I remember a few years ago there was a TV show on called The Weakest Link. And some of you may remember that. I just saw the other day where I think they're bringing it back. But what I think about is the old knights of old uh, who used to have to wear chain mail armor. And one of the things that a knight wanted to make sure of because that was protection was that his chain mail armor was all strong. It did not have a weak link. And we're going to look at a parable today and talk about the weakest link. Did you know that a third of all the things that Jesus taught, he taught with parables. Now, someone has defined parables as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. In modern day terms, I kind of refer to parables as virtual reality. Because in the parables, there is a connection between the visible world of the physical and the invisible world of the spiritual. So, As we look at this parable, or as you study any parable, keep in mind that every parable has a central truth. Every parable has what you might call a moral to the story. Reminds me of a story. My wife's a retired uh, elementary school teacher. And so I love stories she would tell me and stories I hear about elementary school. This story says one day an elementary school teacher had each member of the class to tell a story. And then the assignment was when they finished telling the story, they were to state the moral of the story. So the first little girl named Susie, she stands up and says, my daddy owns a farm. And every week we have to gather the eggs in a basket and take them to market. Well, one day we were on the way to market and we hit a bump. And the eggs flew out of the basket and smashed on the road. The teacher says, oh, I'm so sorry. What's the moral? And she said, don't put all of your eggs in one basket. Well, then the next little girl was Lucy. Lucy starts and says, my dad also is a farmer. And we raise chickens. And one day he put 12 eggs in in the incubator, but only eight of them hatched. The teacher says, I'm so sorry. What's the moral? 
She said, the moral of the story is don't count your chickens before they hatch. Then we get to little Billy. There's always a little Billy. And he stands up and he starts telling his story. My uncle Ted's airplane was shot down in the war. He parachuted to a remote island and he had nothing but a bottle of whiskey. He was surrounded by 12 dozen of the enemy and they were hostile. And so he drank the whiskey and killed all 12 with his bare hands. And the teacher said, wow, that is some story. Now, what is the moral? He said, the moral of the story is don't mess with Uncle Ted when he's been drinking. <laughs> we all like stories. Because we always find somebody or something in a story we can identify with. Now, we're going to be looking at a parable in Luke 18 this morning. And as we study this parable, keep in mind that this, as well as all parables, function in three ways. First, a parable is a picture because in it we always see a real life situation. It's also a mirror because somewhere in a parable you'll see yourself. But also in a parable it's a window through which God allows us to see something of his nature, something of himself. So in order to understand the parable we're going to turn today, and if you haven't already gotten to that passage, and of course most of it will be up on the screen, turn to Luke chapter 18. And we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 14 as we work our way through it. But while you're finding your way to that passage, uh, I want you to think about some things. I want you to answer some questions. Do you think God is more impressed with what you do for him than he is by the time you spend with him? Do you... Uh, Come to church because of family pressure, for business considerations, to keep up an image, or you see it as a social activity? Do you ever look at people who don't go to church and think you're better than they are because you do go to church? Do you ever look at people in prison and think you're better than they are because you're not in prison? You ever look at people who are going through uh, some kind of family difficulty and you think they're better than they are because you aren't? Well, Jesus told a parable about two men. That's what we're looking at today. One's a Pharisee, the other's a tax collector. And what we learn from this parable is it's not enough to be in church. You've got to be in church for the right reason. And the number one reason we're to be in church, if we're Christians, is to worship God. And the number one reason you're to be in church if you're not a Christian is so that your ear might hear the Word of God, so that your heart would experience the work of God, so that eventually in your soul you can enjoy the worship of God. Now, the way you worship reveals what you think of God. I know this is a different time, and I am grateful for all of you who are here, and I'm grateful for all of you who are online. 
because there are a couple of things that this season is uh, teaching us. One of the things that it's teaching us, I think, is I think God is reminding us that the church is not what happens inside the four walls. That the church is us, the people, and we represent him as the body of Christ when we lead these four walls. We come here to worship. I also realize that uh, from everything I'm seeing, and I get a lot of data that comes across my desk, and you know, you can make what you want to out of certain data, but from everything that I'm reading, when all this is over, and we don't have to worry about social distancing and mask and all of that, and we get back to uh, what some would call some semblance of normalcy. When all this is over, only about 70% of the people who were in church before are going to come back. Only about 70%. Now, churches that are going to do well are churches that are going to reach new people. And we will have an opportunity to reach new people because they may not know how to verbalize it, but what this season has caused is a lot of people to have spiritual questions. But the way we worship reveals what we think about God, what we think about ourselves, and what we think about others. And some of you who are listening today will learn that worship is your weakest link. And then others of you may have God speak to you and let you know that you're the weakest link in worship as we study this parable together. And remember, I said I want to finish well, so I don't ever want to be the weakest link. But if any of the following things are true, then you're the weakest link. Matthew 18, let's look first at verse 9. And you're the weakest link if you do not accept the righteousness of God. Now, Luke makes it plain in verse 9 who Jesus is speaking to when he gave this parable. He said he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Now, remember, he's talking to people who did not see God the way he ought to be seen or see others the way they ought to be seen. And that's represented here by the Pharisees. It says, two men went up to the temple complex to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Greedy, unrighteous adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, the Pharisees were the most highly regarded group in all of Jerusalem. Most of that high regard was from themselves about themselves, but there never were very many Pharisees. 
at most there would have been about 3,000 at any one time. And I know today we're quick to criticize the Pharisees, and we're going to be quick to criticize this one. But you got to recognize that a Pharisee was a very religious individual. They dotted every religious I. They crossed every theological T. But we're going to see the problem with the Pharisee is not that he was bad, but that as good as he was, he was not good enough. We're told that he tied everything he possessed. Now, the Old Testament only required the tithe, 10%. By the way, I just was on a call this week and heard some data that says of people who come to church, of people who give, if you average it all out, of people who come to church, they're giving about 2% of their income. I'm not talking about folks who aren't in church. I'm talking about those of us who come. We're only giving about 2% of our income. Now, think of ministry opportunities if you had five times the amount of money. And I am grateful because I understand you've been very faithful in your giving. But in many ways, we haven't tapped our giving potential. But the Pharisee here tied everything that he earned and everything that he bought. In other words, he was a double tither. We're also told that he fasted twice a week. Now, a Jew was actually only required to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement. So this guy fasted 103 more times than he was required. He was super religious. But what's wrong with this picture? The problem is this man thought what a lot of people think today. He thought his goodness gained him brownie points with God. He thought God accepts a person based on what he or she does for him. Now let me stop right here and give you three truths that uh, we could already learn from the Pharisee that you should never forget if you intend to be right with God. Here's the first one. You'll never get to heaven on the basis of things you do not do. Secondly, you'll never get to heaven on the basis of things you did do. Here's the third thing. You'll only get to heaven by accepting what God has done for you It's a free gift that's made possible through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And it is so sad because this man was even fooled about his prayer. See what it says in verse 11? It says, uh, he took his stand and was praying like this. The, The language there literally says he was praying to himself. He thought he was uh, praying to God, but he was just talking to himself. Someone has well said the only person God sends away empty is a person full of himself. How sad it is to think you're worshiping God when you're not. I heard about a guy who was talking to God one time, and he had a very bad attitude. 
He said, God, why has my brother been blessed with wealth and I have nothing? All my life, I've never missed a, a single day without having my daily devotions. Uh, I, I, my church attendance is almost perfect. I've always loved my neighbor. I give a lot of money to the church. And yet, I come to the end of my life and I can hardly afford to pay the rent. My brother, on the other hand, drinks and gambles and plays around all the time and yet he has more money than he can count now i'm not asking you to punish him but tell me why he's been given so much and i've been given nothing and god says because you're such a self-righteous pain in the neck now listen carefully to that first lesson in this parable if you do not accept the righteousness of God as the only way to be right with God, you can't worship God. You're the weakest link. And then let's get to the second one. If you do not acknowledge the worthiness of others, you're going to be the weakest link. See what it says in verse 11. The Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. See, the Pharisee had an eye problem. I mean, you read that pronoun I five times in two verses. He was stoned on the drug of self. He suffered from two problems, inflation and deflation. He had an inflated view of who he was and a deflated view of who God is and who others are. His pride made him too big for his spiritual britches. C.S. Lewis once said, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you can't see anything that's above you. Now, the Pharisee had fooled himself about himself. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like this other man. But he was like other men. Because what does it tell us in Romans 6, 23? That all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There was a man on trial one time and he was charged with burglary. And as he was standing before the judge, he said, uh, I can try your case or you can choose to have a jury of your peers. The man thought a moment and he said, your honor, what are peers? He said, they're people just like you. He said, forget it. I don't want to be tried by a bunch of thieves. See, the Pharisee had a good eye on himself, a bad eye on others, and no eye on God. He was performing before an audience of one, and he was applauding himself. We all need to remember what it says in Romans 12.3, where it says, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, let's face it. There are times when all of us have a tendency to think more highly of ourselves than we should. I don't know if you're glad football's back or not. I'm kind of a sports nut, and I'm glad it's back, even with its fan restrictions and all of that. And one of my favorite football guys is a guy by the name of Don Shula. 
Some of you will recognize that name. Some of you will not. But Don Shula coached the Miami Dolphins. And he's the only coach to coach a team that had an undefeated season and even won the Super Bowl. When Don Shula was at the height of his popularity, he had difficulty going anywhere without people recognizing him. So they decided, he and his wife, that they would go on vacation to a small town in the state of Maine. In the hope of being at that small place, out of the way place, they wouldn't be recognized and he could get some rest. Well, they had a little uh, movie theater in that town and they decided to go to a movie. And so when they walked in, everyone in attendance in that movie theater stood up and applauded. And Shula couldn't believe it. He leaned over to the fellow sitting next to him after the movie had started and said, I didn't think anybody here would recognize me. And the man said, well, who are you? He says, I'm Don Shula, the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. And the man said, well, it's nice to meet you, but we didn't know who you were. He said, then why did everybody applaud when I walked in? He said, because the manager told us unless two more people showed up, he wouldn't show the movie. We shouldn't be surprised that the Pharisee looked down on the tax collector, though, because everybody did. You see, tax collectors were the scum of Jewish society. Tax collectors would charge exorbitant rates. They'd skim the extra money off the top and steal everything that they could get away with because they worked for the Roman government. The tax collector was to the Pharisee what an outlaw was to the sheriff. But there was one huge difference between the tax collector and the Pharisee. The tax collector was as humble as the Pharisee was proud. You could uh, see it in his feet. It says in verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off. I mean, here's the Pharisee. He's standing in the sunshine. He wanted everybody to see him. The tax collector standing in the shadows. You could also see it in his eyes. You go on to read about the tax collector. He would not even raise his eyes to heaven. See, the Pharisee was uh, too proud to look up while the tax collector was too ashamed to look up. You could see it in his hands. It says he kept striking his chest while he prayed. In effect, he was saying, I know I have a filthy heart. See, this tax collector came to God in humility, admitting to God what God already knew about him. That's confession, by the way. That's agreeing with God what is true about yourself. And confession leads to conviction, which leads to conversion. Notice what Jesus said in verse 14. Now, this absolutely shocked the crowd when they heard it. Verse 14 says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, if you had taken a vote in the crowd that day as to which man was accepted by God and which man was not, the Pharisee would have won by a unanimous vote. 
but there's only one vote that counts, and that's God's. A rich man had invited some guests to a feast he was having, and when they all got there, they saw his own chair seated at one end of the table, richly decorated. And he says, now, you go in and you find your seat according to how important you think you are in my sight. And he left the room. Well, each guest did some jockeying, and uh, they seated themselves accordingly to how highly they thought, himself, uh, thought of themselves and how much they thought the guy thought of them. But when the time came, they'd finished fussing about it, and they were all seated. The rich guy came back into the room and moved his chair to the other end of the table. Now, here's the point. If you do not see that we're all unworthy of anything except for the grace of God, and that we're all equally in need of the grace of God, you can't worship God and you're the weakest link. And then here's the third point. You're the weakest link if you do not admit the sinfulness of self. Now listen to what the tax collector says. He says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Two prayers were prayed that day. One prayer didn't get any higher than the temple. One prayer made it all the way to heaven. And God heard the prayer of the tax collector. For Jesus said in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. See, the highway to heaven is paved with the concrete of humility. Now, on the outside, everybody would have thought the Pharisee was the one that was close to God. But on the inside, it was the tax collector who had God's heart. By the way, I love this verse found in Psalm 34, 18. It says, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Do you know what really impressed God about the tax collector? He was willing to humble himself without waiting on God to do it for him. That's what it takes to worship. An honest heart and a humble heart. Do you know that God delights in exalting the humble and in humbling the exalted? Several years ago, I was told this story about a guy who was unemployed and he was desperate for money and he decided to go into the richest neighborhood in town and look for work. And he knocked on the door of one particularly wealthy gentleman. That gentleman himself opened the door and this guy who was down on his luck told the rich guy what he needed. Well, that wealthy man looked down his nose at that poor guy with disdain. He said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm not going to give you a handout, but I'll give you $10 if you'll paint my porch. And he told him where the paintbrushes were in the garage, and he slammed the door in his face. Well, after three hours in the hot, boiling sun of painting the man's porch, he rang the doorbell to collect this pay. And the wealthy man very arrogantly almost pitched the $10 to him. The guy called and said, uh, thank you, kind sir, I really appreciate it. 
And he started to walk away, but he stopped and turned around and says, oh, by the way, you don't have a Porsche, it's a Ferrari. <laughs> Let me show you one other thing before we leave this parable that ought to impress us. The Greek language has this man saying literally, be merciful to me, the sinner. Now, the word merciful is a Greek word that goes back to the Hebrew word kapur. It literally means atonement. You may have heard of the holiday that Jews still celebrate called Yom Kippur. It literally means the day of atonement. The word of atonement means to cover. What this man was really saying is, I'm exposing my heart for what it is. God, will you cover it for me? Now, I want to share something I hope we'll all remember. There's only one thing worse than being a sinner. That's being a sinner and not admitting you're a sinner. Some practical application. Here's something you can take home with you. You can forget everything else trying to remember this. It's not how you see you but how God sees you that matters. And when you see you the way God sees you, you can see God the way you should see God. And then you'll see you for who you really are. And you'll see that you're just like everybody else in need of the grace of God. I grew up in Darlington County, grew up in the country, grew up in a little community called Lake Swamp. I'm the oldest of three boys. Both of my brothers are deceased. One drank himself to death and the other OD'd. I can't tell you how many times I talked with my brothers and they didn't want to listen. And people who know me say, Gary, how did you turn out the way you turned out and then your brothers did what they did? I said, it's all the grace of God. You've heard that old saying, but for the grace of God, there be I. And then here's the next thing. Salvation is not what God pays you because you tell him you've earned it. Salvation is what God gives us when we admit to him we need it. And then here's the last thing. Worship requires humility and honesty. And God can only be worshiped in the right spirit according to his truth. The French have a proverb that is a wonderful insight for worship. They say a good meal ought to begin with hunger. Now, you can look at me and tell I've enjoyed a lot of good meals. But it's hard to enjoy even the best of meals when you're not hungry. But have you ever noticed when you're really hungry, almost anything tastes good? When we approach worship, we ought to have a hunger to meet God. 
And if we show up to worship with our own self-sufficiency, if we come to worship refusing to accept his righteousness, refusing to acknowledge the worthiness of others, refusing to admit our sinfulness, yeah, the Pharisees are still alive. Because if we're doing that, we're one of them. But my prayer is that God would give us that hunger for him that brings us together as God's people so that we might glorify him. I know you're getting ready and you're excited about your new pastor going to be starting in just a little while. I've known Rod for a lot of years. And I think God has led you to a wonderful man. But I'm going to say a couple of things to you. If you are God's church, and I believe you are, then you did your due diligence and you called God's man. You didn't hire a preacher. God worked through you to call his servant here to serve as pastor. That's how it happens. And as that has happened, let me make you aware of something. How well Sheral First Baptist moves forward is how well you as his people are serious about worship. I'll probably say this again. It's interesting that these days, because I listen to a lot of complaints from churches all during the week. That's a part of my job. You'd be surprised how busy I am. <laughs> but there are a lot of people in church who think grumbling, complaining, and whining are spiritual gifts. <laughs> and they are. But they're not coming from the Holy Spirit. They're coming from another source, and I think you can figure out where. However many days we have left, one of the things that my prayer is in all humility is, God, don't let me be the weakest link. If you will pray that prayer, God's got some great days ahead of you. Because when God's people come together and we do what he's called us to do, He's going to be glorified. And one of the byproducts, it's not something we ought to sit around and expect, but it's a, it's a byproduct. When we live our lives in such a way that God is glorified, he blesses us beyond anything we could ever imagine. When's the last time God blessed you? Don't be the weakest, weakest link. Our praise team's going to come. They're going to share. Trey's going to be at the front. Are you, do y'all sing a song at the end? Okay, Trey's going to be at the front. If you're here today and, and, and God has spoken to you, maybe you're just here today and you want to internally make that commitment that, hey, I'm not going to be the weakest link. Sure, all First Baptists can count on me. My new pastor can count on me. We're going to do what God wants us to do. God's got a hold of you. You come. Let's stand and sing.